We're going to be in Mark chapter 4 this morning. We're going to start in verse 35 uh, and, and go to verse 41. We're going to stand in the honor uh, of the reading of God's word. And so it reads like this in verse 35. It says, On the same day, when evening had come, and he had said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in a boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the winds beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, he is Jesus, asleep on a pillow. Okay, I don't know, but if you're on the Titanic, and there's a guy asleep on a pillow, you're probably not going, well, praise the Lord, I'm glad he's resting. He was asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not even care that we are perishing? Then he arose, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared him exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and sea obey him? Father, we pray that you would open your word to us, that Holy Spirit, you would speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Go ahead and grab your seat or your pew. We're in our series on awakening. We're praying that God would begin to do something. We sing that song, This Is a Move. We see it. Every, we sing it every week, and I think we're going to change one of the lines to instead of we need a move to we need to move. Because I think that God is already moving and he just is requiring us to get on board with him. In our series, we've, we're just trying to build faith. And, and I was going a direction, and man, the Holy Spirit just kind of put a halt on that and took me to this passage of scripture this week. Because I believe that there is a work that God wants to do in the area of weariness of tiredness. You know, when my kids are tired, it's hard to get them to move. You can either bribe them or threaten them. You know what I'm saying? There's either a donut or a consequence coming their way. And when Josiah was just a little guy, he's still little, but when he was real little learning how to talk, for some reason he would always process life as loud as he could so the world could hear him around. And I don't know about you, but we're those parents that believe in biblical discipline. And so we give out spankings every once in a while. And we would tell him, if you don't, you know, if you don't straighten up, then when we get home, that's going to be a spanking. And all of a sudden, Josiah learned that if he made a scene in public about a spanking, he wouldn't get one all, you know. And he'd be like, I don't want a spanking, no. And we're like, we live in Washington State at this time. It's not a pro-spanking state. We're like, we are gonna, you, you're, we're gonna get you taken away from us. Like, you can't, you can't talk like that. So we, we changed it. We stopped saying spanking to consequence. So you're gonna get a consequence when we get home. And so he'd yell at the top of his lungs, I don't want a consequence. When you're tired, you say the funniest things. You behave in interesting ways, don't you? It's hard to motivate people who are tired, who are weary. 
And I believe that God wants to give us a story today that would encourage us even if we're tired or weary. Even if life isn't going the way that we hoped it would or, or isn't going the way that we prayed it would. That God can give us a word in that season to tell us that he is still in control and still has a plan. And maybe we'll just speak to us today. So I want to talk with you around the idea of how do you handle life in the middle of a storm? How do you handle life in the middle of a storm? You know, one of my most favorite things to do when we travel, especially if we travel Southwest, I think Southwest Airlines is brilliant and has one of the best sociological uh, experiments created in mankind with the uh, come early and get your boarding pass and open seating concept. Has anybody ever flown Southwest? Do you feel that sense of anxiety when you get level B12? You're like, oh no, I'm not going to get any overhead space. But if you're like C60, you're like, oh, where am I going to sit? You know exactly where you're going to sit. You're going to sit right next to two people who have not showered. <laughs> right in the middle. In fact, when we travel and we get A whatever, we will pretend like we're traveling with somebody else sometimes just to protect the middle. Put a bag there and say, oh, they're in the bathroom. They're, 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 they went to get something. It says where two or three are gathered, there he is in their midst, so we're not lying. So that, we just, that seat has been spoken for. I spoke for it already in the name of Jesus. And you know, we, uh, Deborah will sit by the window, I'll sit by the aisle, and I'll just, I'll just people will walk by, I'll start... <coughs> You know, like, I am putting, I'm putting boundaries up. You want to sit in this middle seat, you're going to have to really contend with some things. And we were just flying back from uh, a, a trip to Israel that we got to take, and Deborah got the coveted middle seat. She was so excited about it. And this guy next to her, if you're in the room today, we're, I'm sorry if this was you, but please don't ever do this again, decides to take off his shoes and put them on the footrest that they're supposed to share, like her and so right in Deborah's space, and he's just got his feet there. And you know his socks aren't, you know, they're they're a little holy, not like spiritual holy. Like he, you know, his toenails made him a little extra room there. He's just wiggling them around. You know, he's good. He's cool. He's chilling. He's got the window. He can lean against it. Deborah's like, I'm parachuting off of this plane. I am getting off. I, I, I thought in my head for a moment, it was just a brief thought, maybe I should switch with her. And I was like, well, she's already miserable. There's no sense in both of us being miserable. You know, I mean, she's already suffered for Jesus. I don't need to suffer for Jesus too. If she's already got it, she's got it. We're good. And she sat like that, and then he kind of like got bigger. And you know, they bring food to eat on an international flight, and I never eat the food on an international flight. I always have like a little bar that I can... And this guy's just eating food, got his stuff going, food's flying everywhere, and then, then he puts his foot between the seat and the window up to the next seat. I'm like, this guy is living his best life right now. He just is loving it. And Deborah's right in the middle. And I can just see her in the middle going like, God, you have to save me right now. The middle is uncomfortable, isn't it? The middle takes away your control. The middle sometimes doesn't go as planned and you don't get to sit as comfortably as you would have expected to. 
You think, wait, I paid for this seat. I didn't pay to share this seat with this stranger next to me. And yet in life, I found that we get more middles than we do aisle seats. That, that life doesn't just go the way that I've perfectly planned it to. Or, you know, Proverbs says that man makes the plans, but God directs the steps. And sometimes I wish God direct our steps to first class. Can anybody relate to that? Like, hey, Lord, I'll sit in the middle of the first class seat because there's two of them. And it's got a divider. But life throws middle seats at us really fast. And this is where the disciples find themselves. They have just had a whole day of Jesus teaching. He's been on a boat because there were so many people that they had to anchor it down. He stands on the boat and he teaches some incredible faith-building things like don't hide your light under a basket or the parable of the sower or the, the growing seed that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can do incredible things like say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea and it would. Like, they have had their faith extremely built up God has spoken to them through Jesus. Like, if you can't get a word through Jesus, I don't know if you can get a word at all. And they're just sitting there all day kind of getting this teaching, and the disciples are, are a little worn out, and Jesus is worn out because if you talk a lot, you get worn out. Okay, if you don't know that, you're an introvert. You just get worn out if somebody else talks a lot. And Jesus says, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. Let's, let's get into the boat. Let's go on to the other side. And the disciples get going on to the other side. And, and it says some weird things like, and there were other little boats with them. And Jesus was laying in the back on a pillow. And why does this need to jump out at us? If you're reading the narrative like that and those little details are in there, it shows you that this isn't just a story that somebody made up, but this is an eyewitness account of somebody recounting the story. They said, oh yeah, okay, so Jesus was there. There were some other little boats with us and there was a pillow. Have you ever talked to somebody that tells a story and then tells a story inside of a story and then tells another story inside of that story? <laughs> you, you just patted your daughter there, so that's good. You guys can work that out at the altar later. Uh, but Jesus was, uh, whoever was telling this is most likely Peter to Mark. He was kind of telling him what was going on. Is telling him all of these little details because of what's going on in the Christian church around the time this was written. It needed to have an eyewitness account. See, what's going on in the Christian church when this is written is extreme persecution. They're still writing the Bible out. Jesus has been taken up. They're still writing the New Testament. They're trying to get all of Jesus' life into account so that Christians can be encouraged. And in the middle of this, the Roman Empire is persecuting Christians and the Christians are saying, this isn't what we signed up for entirely. We knew that there would be trials and troubles and tribulation because Jesus said, if they hate the master, they're going to hate me. So I get that. But man, this is tough. And the church was trying to get together and find a story to show people what could happen if Jesus was truly in the boat with them. What could happen in the middle of a hard time, of, of persecution, of life not going the way that life should go. And they wrote this story about Jesus calming the sea. How do we handle life in the middle of the storm determines a lot of things. So let's talk about what we can do in the middle of our storms. Is there somebody in a storm today? Somebody that got some news that you weren't expecting, it didn't go the way that you thought it should go? That you've been serving Jesus a long time and you're like, this is it? 
Now, it sounds like a very hard word, but it's really encouraging, and you'll be blessed if you stay with me for it in just a few minutes here. But the first thing we can do is we got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's look at this story again. It says that they get into a boat, and it says, let's go to the other side, and, and, and hopefully we'll get some rest. They go into the boat. They start to go to the other side, and on their way to the other side, a big storm kicks up. We're talking like a big storm that makes a bunch of fishermen scared. These aren't guys that are getting into a boat for the first time and, and rowing it because they just are putting together how you steer a boat. No, no. These are people that grew up on the Sea of Galilee. These are people that are, that are well-versed in how to maneuver this lake. These are people that know how to look at weather patterns and determine if it's safe to go to the other side or not safe to go to the other side. These aren't just some scrubs that got into a boat and hoped that they were going to get to the other side. These are seafaring men that know how to handle the waters that know how to handle the boat to get to the other side. And yet this storm kicks up and they are panicking. They're terrified. And you got to understand, what does it say? And there were other little boats with them. So they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? And Jesus hits the snooze button. And they're like, hey, have you ever tried to wake somebody up that's not a really good at waking up? I imagine Jesus was like that. He's like, guys, I've been talking all day. Do you know who I am? I'm Jesus. We're going to be okay. And they're like, hey, 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 hey. You know what I mean? When our kids were growing up learning how to go to the bathroom, Deborah trained them how to come to my side of the bed. So if they woke up in the middle of the night to go potty, they would walk into the door and come to my side of the bed. Now Charlotte comes in, and you know Charlotte's in the room, but the other three come in, and it's like a stealth, acrobatic move, and then all of a sudden you've got these eyes looking at you, and have you ever been asleep and felt like somebody is there with you? And I would open my eyes, and boom, there would one of them be. I'm like, oh my goodness! Now, we lived in Texas. It was a good thing that they were my kids. <laughs> and I'd be like, what? what do you need? What's going on? Daddy, I need to go potty. I'm like, go! <laughs> you can go in your bed tonight. I don't care. We got the protector thing. It's going to be okay. But don't breathe on me in my sleep anymore. So imagine Jesus just kicking it in his sleep and he wakes up and there's like, John, just, psst, hey! And Jesus is like, what? What do you want? Uh, never mind. They're like, Jesus, do you see what's going on here? There is a storm that is going to take us out and take those people out too. Yeah, you're a good talker, Jesus. You've done some miracles, Jesus, but do you even care about us, Jesus? Like, we've seen you do some incredible things with the loaves and the fish, and, and we've seen that you can do a miracle of compassion for others, but do you even care about us, Jesus? That's what they say. And the language here is not very kind. It's not like it was two friends having a good cup of coffee at Grounds for Thought and discussing the, the, the woes of life. It was like, hey, punk, do you even care that we're going to die? Like, yeah, you might could walk on this storm, but we're going to sink. They were intense, and I'm telling you, I can relate to that. 
I can relate to that outcome. If I could be honest with you, there's some times where I feel like Jesus is sleeping on my life instead of involved in my life. And I'm like, hey, where are you in the middle of what I'm going through right now? You didn't say it would be this hard. You said goodness and mercy would follow me. Where are they at? You said life and life more abundant. This feels like pain and more pain. Jesus, where are you? Do you even care? And Jesus wakes up, and he didn't wake up very friendly. You know, Jesus is, a, is, is normally a kind man. But when he woke up, he woke up a little violent here. It says that he woke up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. But he also rebuked the disciples. Jesus just woke up rebuking everybody. He's like, you stop it, and you are a coward. <laughs> That's what it says. That's how it reads. It wasn't like, hey, peace be still. What's wrong, my children? Why are you frustrated? <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't like very kind and nice. It was like, ah, boom. Jesus is like, okay, that's it. He says, peace be still to the wind and the waves. But the word peace there isn't the same word that it would be like, hey, I hope you have peace in your heart. The word peace there is actually translated a little bit uh, kinder for this text right here. But the word is really shut up. That's the word. If you drill down into the, to the Greek and you dive into what Jesus' heart was, he was like, be quiet. Not kindly, forcefully. It says that he rebuked the wind. It's the same word in this sentence where he rebuked the demonic spirit from talking. But it's also the same word where the Pharisees rebuked the blind man from calling out. It's not peace be still it's shh, be quiet and then to his disciples he says why are you guys so scared why are you so timid and where is your faith see when we fix our eyes on the wrong things we behave differently than what's required of us Jesus is so good to us, though. It doesn't say that he disconnected relationally. It doesn't say that he got mad at them. But it does say that he gave them a disciplinary remark. Hey, you're better than this. Now, I've gotten that from Jesus, too. When I'm kind of in my pity party to myself. Like, woe is me. It's not going my way. And Jesus is like, hey, hey, it's pretty good for you. And I have to remind myself, like this song says, it is well with my soul. That if Jesus does nothing more for me than what he's already done, it's more than enough than I deserve. That i got to fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It reminds me that I am the joy that was set before Jesus. And if I'm the joy that was set before him, I better fix my eyes upon him. And in the middle of the storm, what you fix your eyes on will determine how you behave and what your faith level is. There's this thing called visual fixation. Basically, what you focus on is what you're going to hit. Now, in golf, I'm terrible. Now, Pastor Barry here, he can attest because we've golfed together. He threw me out of the cart once. Um, he did. He told me to pick up his ball, and he gassed it at the same time. And boom, I went barreling out of that cart. He thought it was so funny, and then he apologized two days later. So, 
But if there is water in front of me, to the side of me, or even behind me, and I know that there is water somewhere in a 360 radius, I'm going to hit that water. You're saying, how do you hit it behind you? You have not seen my golf shot. (laughs) It will come right back around and boom, hit behind me. Visual fixation. What you focus on is what you're going to hit. In the middle of a storm, what you focus on is going to be the level of our behavior and our outcome. What this story teaches us is we have to focus on Jesus even if he's sleeping. The disciples are panicking that Jesus didn't care about them. But what they should have realized is that Jesus wasn't stirred at all. Oh, Jesus is sleeping? We're good. We don't have to do anything because Jesus is sleeping. Jesus isn't moved by that? Oh, we're fine. Jesus isn't moved by that. He's sleeping on a pillow. But what were they focused on at this time? They were focused on the wind and waves around them, and it changed how they behaved and acted towards Jesus. You know, I found that in the middle of the storm, the first thing that goes is church relationships. We isolate ourselves to handle our own mess our own way, hoping that maybe God would show mercy on us sometimes, wondering why nobody's reaching out to us anymore, when in fact we should actually step into the church, let us surround each other, build our faith up, and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So where are your eyes fixed today? Are your eyes fixed on what's going on around you that you can't control anyway? Or are your eyes fixed on Jesus? I would encourage you today to fix them on the right thing. The second thing we can learn from this is don't forget the word you received from Jesus. When the storm kicked up, the disciples had completely forgot the promise that they had already received from Jesus. Now, if your Bible is like my Bible, Jesus' words are written in red. I try not to change those too much. Jesus said to the disciples, when they got into the boat, let us cross over to the other side. The promise was already delivered in the command. We're going to cross over to the other side. We're going to make it. We're going to get there together. We're going to cross over to the other side. But the disciples in the middle of the storm forgot what Jesus had commanded and got caught up into what their circumstance was yelling at them to where they said, Jesus, is your word even for me in this season? And Jesus is like, I'm sleeping because I said we're going to cross over to the other side. Are you in the middle of a storm that you've forgotten the word that Jesus gave to you? Your eyes are fixed on something else and your ears have attuned to what that language is saying instead of the language of faith. Jesus said, let us cross over to the other side. Jesus said, was it mad that they woke him up? Well, maybe a little bit, but he was mad that he had seen all of these things and still had no faith. I've shown you all of these things. And I already told you we're going to make it to the other side. And yet you're still allowing the storm to control your outcome. We would have little storms in our life with big faith if we would remember the word that Jesus gave to us. 
Some of us are saying, God, give me a word for this season. And Jesus is saying, I already gave you a word for this season. It was right here. You're just in the middle of the season. You're like, God, I need out of this season. He's like, hey, listen to the word I gave you in this season. And we're going to get through it together. We're going to cross over to the other side. That is the command and the promise that I've given you. But in the middle of the boat right now, with the winds catching up with you, it's a little difficult to, to believe that, isn't it? It's a little difficult to latch on to that. But Jesus said, let us cross to the other side. Now here's what Jesus is going to do on the other side. The disciples think maybe they're going to go get some rest. But the other side of the lake is not the good side of the lake. It's the other side of the lake. You know what I'm talking about? It's when you go into a new area and they say, where's a good house to, where's a good place to buy houses? They're like, here, here, but don't go to that side. Can anybody relate to that? Am I talking to myself? It's okay if I am. This was the other side. This is where those pesky Gentiles lived. Man, I'm thankful for those pesky Gentiles because that's one of them, right? But Jesus said, we're going to go over there because there's something we got to do. And the disciples are thinking, I know what's over there. Over there is spiritual oppression and demonic activity. So when the storm whips up, they're not thinking it's coincidental. They're thinking it's a demonic attack. That this is Satan himself coming against us and he's going to take us out. When we forget a word given by the Lord, we reassign authority to the wrong place in the season that we're in. They had forgotten that Jesus said, we're going to make it. And they were like, the devil's out to get us. The devil's going to get us. The devil's so strong against us. And they forgot that if God be for us, then who can be against us? Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If we forget the word that Jesus gave to us, we're going to assign wrong authority in the wrong situation. We're going to say, oh, the devil is just attacking me. I just think that if the devil is attacking me, it means I'm up to something good. That if he's ignoring me, it means that I'm ignorable. And in God's kingdom, I do not want to be ignored by the enemy. I want him to know my name, and I want to put him on notice. It means, though, that I might deal with some storms in my life. It means that he might try to distract me with a big, scary wave that's going to hit and capsize my boat. But I've got a word from Jesus. One word from Jesus could sustain you through any storm in your life. And that word could be peace, it could be hope, it could be calling, it could be future. Whatever the word is, latch on to it. But if we forget the word, we assign authority wrongly in the middle of the storm. Right when they got to the other side, you know what they did? Cast out some demons into some pigs. You don't think there was some demonic activity going on? That a storm rears its head, they get to the other side, and this guy comes foaming at the mouth, and Jesus casts these demons out, and then he says, hey, go tell your friends what just happened. He goes and tells them, and guess what happens? Come on. 4,000 people get saved because of it. And we celebrate that. But here's really what I want you to see, is that the other boats in the water, those other things that were going along with them, they were tied to the faith of the disciples. There are people around you that are watching the storm that you're walking through. That their faith level will be impacted by your faith level's outcome in this storm. And if we assign the wrong authority in the middle of our storm and we give too much credit to the enemy and not enough credit to the word of God, then we are going to hurt the people around us that God has given us influence over. We have to remember that there are other boats in the water with us. 
that there are other people that are dependent upon how we're walking through our storm. And so if you're going through a storm right now and Jesus feels like he's sleeping in the boat, understand that he's sleeping in the boat for a reason. Because he gave you a word that we're going to make it to the other side. Here's the last thing that we can see in this story. It's just because the storm rages around you doesn't mean the storm has to rage inside of you. Just because the water's kicked up a little bit doesn't mean you have to panic and be, and be fearful. Jesus was frustrated at their lack of faith. He was disappointed that they had seen him do so many things. And in, in one moment, they decided to substitute everything they had seen Jesus do for what was going on right in front of them. They allowed the storm around them to impact the faith level inside of them. But just because there's a storm raging on the outside doesn't mean that it has to make it to the inside. Did you know that anxiety, fear, and depression are plaguing the church in rapid rates right now? That we have believers who are, who are blood-bought by the living God that are allowing fear to rob the joy that is set inside of them. And the world is a crazy place to live. It's tough. But if I put all of my faith into a political system, I put all of my faith into an educational system, if I put all of my faith into the relationships around me, I put all of my faith into, into America being strong, I put all of my faith into all of these superficial things and never into Jesus. When those superficial things begin to fall apart, where's my faith going to go? Just because the storm rages around us does not mean the storm has to rage inside of us means we don't have to panic, we don't have to have anxiety, we don't have to have fear. We can have Jesus at the center. When he said to them, why are you afraid? And then it says later on that they had great fear. It's two different words used in there. When it says, why are you afraid? Jesus is saying, why are you behaving like cowards that don't know who I am? And then when it says they had great fear, it's this, they had a great respect and a reverence for who Jesus was. The fear that we approach the situation with, either timidity and cowardice or reverent awe, will determine on the first point where our eyes are fixed. When our eyes are fixed on Jesus, when the storms rage around us, the inside of us has peace like a river. Just remember this, Jesus can handle your storms better than you can anyway. The disciples, they were rowing they were throwing things over. They were cutting, the, cutting the, the ropes. They were hoping the sails would stay intact. But, but Jesus, one word, shh, silenced it. How many of us are trying to do something in our own strength today? And God said, I want to do something inside of you if, if you would just relinquish control. The storm didn't take them out, did it? It raged a little. It caused them to panic. And Jesus was big enough through it all. And we have to understand that though the storm rages, it never wins. Though it roars, it never bites. In fact, the, enemy, the, the word of God says that the enemy ro ro roars around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But unfortunately, his dentures have been taken out. He's just a toothless lion because he's got to contend with the lion from the tribe of Judah. He's got to contend with the great I am, the creator, the sustainer of all life. Though the storm rages, it never wins because Jesus always wins. These are two promises that we get in scripture. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life more abundant. 
And I believe that there are some people in the room today that you have substituted the life that Jesus offers for the control over the, the storm in your life. You say, Jesus, I trust you with so many things, but with this one thing, I don't think I can trust you. So I'm going to take it. And we wonder why we don't have life and life more abundant. It's because we haven't relinquished control yet. But I'm here to tell you today that if you give it to Jesus, he'll give you the life that he promises. The other thing that he, he promises us is not just life more abundant, but life everlasting. Can I tell you that hell is real? It's a real place, but it was created for the enemy. It was created for the devil. And all who confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior, believe that in their heart and say it with their mouth, they are rescued from the grip of hell. And they are promised eternal life. If you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior today, can I just tell you, Jesus is real. He is so real. And he's chasing you down today.